If you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be spending our time in verses 4 to 9 and then verses 26 to 31. If you are new to the Christian faith, exploring the Christian faith, we're really glad that you made the time uh, to come this Sunday morning. This is the time of our service where we spend a little bit of time uh, um, unpacking the Bible. For us, the Bible is not just a book. We believe as we open it, as we think on it, as we consider some of the things in it, it's as though God's speaking to us. It's His audible voice um, to us. And we consider this this time of worship as well. Uh, if you're someone, who, like we said last week, um, sort of maybe looking for a new church home and usually at this time of the year people are sort of looking around churches and stuff like that once again I want to just let you know we're not a perfect church but we do believe in a perfect saviour and we want to um, submit to him and his lordship and authority as he continues to make us more like him so if you want to explore that with us please make yourself known um, to myself or any of the pastors anyone who calls uh, this church home here is God's word 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 4 to 9 I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful for whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll pick it up again in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we come before your throne this morning. No matter what season we are in, we pray that you'll continue to reveal yourself to us as we ponder and consider this essential truth in our faith. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will still our hearts, counsel us, comfort us, convict us, point us to our Savior. Once again, I pray, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you through you alone, for your glory alone. In your mighty name I pray, amen. Uh, friends, this morning I just have a question for you to consider. And that question is, what do you boast in? Or, if you're using kind of biblical terms, what do we glory in? Or using postmodern, kind of modern terms, what do we bling in? What is it? This morning I want us to consider something. Uh, we had plans to talk about our vision and where God's leading us, but uh, we as an eldership are thinking through some of those things. We thought we'd, rather than go there, we wanted to come back to, for us as a church, to consider a very significant, essential truth. A very important truth, because if you do not grasp this truth or grow in this truth, the Christian faith has actually no foundation to build on. If we don't have this essential truth in place, there's no Christian faith. That truth is using the language in Christ. 
or another way to put it, union in Christ. Or using Christianese or Christian lingo, your identity in Christ. In the passage that was just read to you, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church. Shall we say, if we talked about the top ten churches of the New Testament, this is probably not the one that you would pick. It's not like we would say around and the eldership go, let's become like the Corinthian church. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church. He's most probably uh, writing uh, in his three-year ministry while he's in Ephesus. Uh, most probably wrote about four letters to this church and he talks about it in 1 Corinthians. Uh, he talks about it a couple of times. And all we have in our canon is Corinthians 1 and Corinthians 2. Now, the theme of this is this. Ultimately, this church is really divided. They're pretty arrogant. Uh, there's people who are powerful members of this church sort of throwing their weight around. And altogether, they're not really focusing on what's important. They're not interested in the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. There's actually rivalries going on. They're not turning back around and saying, sorry, please forgive me. And neither are they interested in building the faith of those who are weak amongst them. Neither are they interested in witnessing effectively to unbelievers. So Paul gets his report about this church. Paul hears about what's going on. He hears about the division, the morality, the idolatry. There's a lot of this confusion going on, some significant theological issues, and so he writes to them. And his deepest desire as a, as a pastor, as a leader, is that the dwelling, this place would become the dwelling place of God's Spirit. And not only that, they will be faithful to the Gospel. As we just heard in 1 Corinthians 1, that on that day they will stand guiltless before the Lord. So with this in mind, I want you to consider, how would you start a letter writing this letter to a church? How would you start as you um, want to share to this church what's important? You might start with, you foolish Corinthians, why can't you get this right? Rather, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him, all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What He's doing is He starts off saying, despite of the church's message, He actually says, Hey, I'm thankful for you. It's fascinating to consider that's how he starts his letter. Now, why is he thankful? Is he thankful because they're the greatest church that's ever been planted? Is it because they're his favorite church? Is it because they're the most spiritually gifted church? No, he says, hey, Corinthian church. In summary, he's saying, why or where is your boasting in? He's saying, hey, do you know what you've been given? He says, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. And that sets the foundation for the tone of the letter, I think. He's, he's saying to them, Corinthian church, I'm so thankful for you because of the grace, that undeserved gift that was given to you, that favor that was shown through Jesus. That's how. It's in Christ Jesus. In this Christ Jesus, you've been so ridiculously blessed, 
you are so rich. And he's not talking about physical here. And in the context, I think he's talking about the gifts that's been given to them. And he talks about word and knowledge. But in the foundation, what he's saying is, this is what it's been built on. This is all done because of Christ, because of his grace. And this is where we get that language of in Christ or union with Jesus. He's saying, hey, Corinthians, you are not lacking anything. And often when you read 1 Corinthians in the letters, you've got a feeling that it felt like they were lacking stuff. And there was this competition going on. Paul is saying, nope. This same Jesus, you're actually intertwined. It's like a plant that was dying and has now been pushed into this life source, this life-giving plant, this great life source. And this is what's going on as Paul addresses this church. And what they're experiencing as a church is a blessing of that truth. They're experiencing that grace that God has shown them. They're experiencing that they're in Christ. And because of that, they're so rich They don't lack anything. And now they're in this sort of in-between world where they live here on this earth, but they are intertwined with their risen Savior who sits on the right hand of the Father. That's why verse 7 says, so they wait for his revelation. What he's saying, this is your comfort as they wait. The comfort is they have union with Jesus. Not only do they have union with Jesus, but there's a promise that reminds them in verse 8 that Jesus will sustain you to the end in the guiltless of our Lord, day, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called in the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, as you kind of ponder on these verses, I want you to ask this question Whose achievements is Paul highlighting? To a church who often boasted about their own achievements. Paul is highlighting her Corinthian church. Those things I will ultimately address later in this letter, the things that are causing you trouble, are the very things that he's thankful for. But what he's reminding them very clearly and openly, it's not based on their achievement at all. It's all God's work. He's the one who's given them everything. Using our modern day language, they don't have a leg to stand on without God and His work. It's not based on their heritage. It's not based on how religious they are. It's not even based on how spiritually gifted they are. Not alone their leaders and the kind of leadership structures they have, neither the theological kind of um, knowledge they may have. It's simply because of the grace that's been given to them. The very gifts that they fought over in Corinthians as a church, do you know what they call them? They call grace gifts. It's God's gracious gift to them. And it's nothing they've done. It's simply because they've been grafted or, or pushed in or joined together and they have this language of union with Jesus. It's because of this powerful truth. Or using Christian lingo, this is the language of our identity in Christ. Now, what does that mean for you and I today? I have three beautiful kids, and my three beautiful kids uh, have a particular, um, I would call an idol at the moment, uh, called PJ Mask. Now, if you uh, have a little one, you'll most probably know what I'm talking about. If you're a grandparent, eventually you'll get, kids will get there. Just Google PJ Mask, you'll see it. Uh, PJ Mask is basically three kids 
um, who are rebellious, and at night time they head out to put on a special costume to, and their, their justification for running out late at night and escaping is because they're going to rescue the world. Now, PJ Masks is this sort of thing my kids have really gotten into. My beautiful, loving, fun daughter, very girly and brushes her hair and, and does dancing with me and stuff. And in that moment when she puts on a PJ Mask costume called Owlette, she changes. It's like she's become this new identity. She takes on the persona. And usually I'm always the bad guy chasing after me with her special wings and trying to blow me over. Now I laugh at my kids, but don't we all do this in some way? What about in those moments we've talked about sporting endeavours, when we put on that sports jersey, that supporting team that we barrack for, as we go join with others, there's some sort of union, we're united as we cheer our team on. And sometimes we're taking that identity And here's the thing, right? From the day you and I are born, we are given an identity. That's the reality, right? You're either boy or girl. As you grow up, as you get older, there's a bunch of personality stuff that comes in. Oh, you're like so-and-so. You know the personality types? And then you're defined by the kind of clothes that you wear and maybe the hairstyles that you have or the lack of hairstyle. And then on that final day, on the memorial service, when people gather around, often you hear about stories about the person and their achievements. And what I think it's really doing is feeding back into this idea, this is what defines us. This is who we are. And in some sense, we all do this at some point, right? I mean, we do this, right? When we meet or meet someone for the first time at a function, and you go to a birthday party or wherever it is, and someone asks you, what do you do? And then you rattle off what you do, who you are, and family and all that kind of stuff. In other words, what they're saying, who are you? Who are you? What defines you? And you know what? Christian leaders, myself included, do this all the time. We meet other pastors, go to Christian conferences, and someone asks you, who are you? Oh, my name is Shabu John. I'm the lead pastor at Canterbury Gardens Community Church, blah, blah, blah. I just started since. This becomes my definition this becomes my identity. But friends, what would happen if all of that was stripped away? What would happen if all of that was stripped away? Last night, um, I had the great privilege to uh, head to a good mate's 40th birthday party. This good friend of mine was involved in a fairly significant church uh, here in Melbourne. He was the lead pastor of this church and a bunch of things happened. And he had to leave that church. And I remember meeting with him, the coffee, after that whole thing happened on one weekend. And he said to me, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. And yesterday we were celebrating and it was such a joy to see him just resting in knowing who he is because as he's wrestled through over the last two years who he is, this truth is what's helped him to go through the dangerous waters that he's faced. Friends, who do you and I boast in? What do we boast in? Because you and I are living in this world right now that are constantly telling us to ultimately boast in us, our achievements, 
social media. I don't know if you've done this, but I certainly have done this. When we post something, or write something, put a picture up of a cat, or whatever else you put up. In some sense, we're boasting our achievement. There's a moment when people like what they see, love what they see, smiling emoji, or whatever else. Maybe they might even share it. There's something in us that goes, oof. What about in that moment, there are those of us who love to argue on Facebook for various reasons and use that as a platform. There's something that chuckles in us when we really annoy someone. I think the problem is not really necessarily social media. I think it's you and me. So there's something in us that's innate in us that's constantly crying out, I want to be affirmed. I want to be affirmed. I want to be identified as someone. Christian friend, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in the gospel, we are. We are so, so identified this wonderful truth that we are united with the king of the universe. And it's nothing that you've done, nothing I've done. It's all God's gracious, active work. And what we're reaping are the beautiful benefits what Jesus has done. And this is displayed in this term of union with Jesus, union with Christ, your identity in Christ. Christian friend, this is who you are. So I ask you again, who or what do you boast in this morning? And if, you, if you're someone uh, who's exploring the Christian faith and you're thinking that, well, the Christian thing is just a crutch and maybe if I give my life to Jesus, at least I'll get a ticket to heaven. My friend, I've got good news for you. That's not what it's about. Because right now, whether you realize this or not, you are trying to find your security, your identity, your satisfaction, either in yourself or something or someone else. Maybe it's the things that the culture says you should find your identity in. What I've got to tell you this morning is it's not till you're attached to the life-giving life source that is Jesus will you find true identity, true self, true satisfaction. And we would invite you to consider this. Maybe your friend who's brought you along to the service this morning, keep asking them the questions that you have. Maybe there's someone here you would like to talk to. If if there's anyone here who calls Canterbury home, you should go up to them and say, hey, tell me, why do you believe in Jesus? And they should be able to answer that to you. And our prayer is that you will know this grace, that you will experience what it means to be united with Jesus. And Christian friend, knowing this essential truth is key in our walk with Jesus. Because when you and I continue to grow in this essential truth, it helps us to rest and boast in our identity in Jesus, not in ourselves. I think as you kind of of unpack this first chapter, this is what the Apostle Paul is doing. I mean, he is saying to this church, hey, you have been blessed, not only with grace, not only with spiritual gifts, not only that, you are now being united in Jesus. And he's saying, hey, listen, if this is true, it's not just like like a rubber stamp, it should actually impact all of your life. 
It should impact how you engage with one another. And that's why he's asking the question, guys, why are you divided? If this is true, why are you divided? If this is true, why are you picking teams? Who's a better preacher or not? And not only that, why are you boasting in yourself? In verse 26, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that, as is written, let the one who boasts, boast in who? The Lord. I would wonder if Paul would have been a great Australian. I think this is kind of like a bit good size of Aussie sarcasm. He's saying, hey, Corinthian church, I know that you think you're all that. I've got good news for you. You're not. Because according to worldly standards, you're not wise at all. You believe in this thing called the gospel. Many of you think that you're powerful and you have some sort of status. Well, you don't. There's not much status in the things of this world. And he says, many of you are of, you think you're of noble birth. Not many of you are of noble birth. It's like saying, hey, some of you have grown up in Kilsyth, in Lilydale, Moralbark. Too far? Ring, Ringwood. Not Ringwood East. No, not far enough. These are titles, right? What he's saying, you haven't been given this noble birth. What he's saying in this moment. What Paul is giving them is a loving, humble pie. It's a wonderful reminder to the church in Corinth and also to us in 2019. In those moments where we may think we're all that. Verse 27 reminds us, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. These are powerful words. And I want to just say to you that if you are in any kind of Christian ministry, these are words to be memorized. It's a wonderful reminder. In summary, you and I don't have a leg to stand on on our own merits. It's all God's gracious work again. Because true wisdom is found in God's wisdom. And God's wisdom and thinking is always upside down. He chooses the foolish, like you and me. He chooses the weak like you and me. He chooses the low like you and me. He chose the despised. Things that are not. This is upside down thinking. This is upside down wisdom. Humanly speaking, it absolutely makes no sense at all. But this has been beautifully and gloriously displayed in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The one who is the king of the universe. The one who is the Lord of Lords. While he was on his earth ministering, was seen as foolish, was seen as weak, was seen as low. He became despised. And you know, when we receive the gospel, when we respond to that, we need to come in a humble posture because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is the upside, wisdom, upside down wisdom of God. And this is the wonderful thing. The fruit of that, implications of that, when we put our faith in Him, 
in God's wisdom and we stop banking it on our own wisdom and our status and our gift set and abilities, we become humbled. Verse 30 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Beautiful, wonderful, glorious theological terms. What he's saying is because of Jesus, because of him, you are united in Jesus. The one whose cross-shaped wisdom is better than any wisdom in this world. This means that in that moment, in him, if you have faith in him, we've stood before the law court of God. And because of Jesus, we receive vindication and acquittal. In Jesus, this means that you and I receive sanctification. Another way to put it is say we've become holy. We've been set aside for God's purposes. In Jesus, we receive this wonderful truth of redemption, meaning that we've been paid for. God has saved us out of slavery. We've been delivered. Christian friend, do you know this? Do you rest in this? Do you meditate on this? Or are we all tempted to boast in something or someone else? Because it's a wonderful reminder for all of us who believe in Christ. This should continue to grow to capture our hearts. This could look like in that moment, on Monday, when the enemy of our soul, Satan, stands and yells at you and accuses you and tempts you and barks at you. You can say, in Christ, I am righteous because Jesus has acquitted me of all my sin and he declares I'm not guilty. In that moment, when you and I are tempted to do our own thing, this truth reminds you and I, we have been set apart for his purposes and so you and I daily say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. So in that moment, through the power of the Spirit, we resist sin or flee sin. In that moment where we're challenged to live again for ourselves, we're reminded I'm no longer a slave, I've been redeemed. So then that means we are not called to enslave ourselves to other things. In that moment when the world says to you, you are a fool, and you say, yes, I am. Because this is how Christ sees me. I'm a fool for Jesus. Jesus is my true wisdom, not the wisdom of this world. Jesus in Jesus, I have better wisdom. In that moment when the world and others may call you and I and saying we're, we're, we're false and we're guilty, we can say, no, again, in Christ, I'm not guilty. The only verdict that matters is what Jesus says about you. In that moment when the world and our culture tells you, you can be who you want to be. Conquer the world. Make a mark for yourself. In Christ, you and I am reminded, I am not my own. I belong to Him. I'm here to make a mark for Him, not for myself. There are various things that may tempt us to come, buy, invest, take, steal, covet, enslave, whatever it is. This truth reminds you and I, in Christ, we're not a slave. We have been redeemed. In that moment when your loved one your husband, wife, best friend comes to you and says, I am no good, I'm terrible. And they believe in the gospel in Jesus. You can say to him, Christian friend, husband, wife, son, 
daughter, in Christ, this is what you have. In Christ, you do have hope. Friends, this also means as we rest in this truth, in knowing in Christ, there's implications that you and I should grow in humility. Because we are fools. In our own way, if we left our own ways, we would run away from God. It is God's grace that has saved us. So the moment when you and I attempted to raise our eyebrows, they don't have a handle on their Christian faith like me. Look at the way they're raising their kids. They don't know all the things I do. Have you heard about that church? They're a bit dodgy. Christian friends, being in Christ reminds you and I, your righteousness, my righteousness, the holiness that's been given to us through Christ, the redemption, the wisdom, it's all because of Christ, nothing that you and I have done. In those moments when you and I are tempted to compare ourselves, oh, I wish I was like so-and-so. They're so good up the front and, you know, I wish I had their spiritual gift. I mean, it seems that they've got it all perfect. My guess is if you got to know them, probably not. Because all they have is to rest in Christ and what God has given. You can stop comparing yourself. What matters is what Christ says about you, and you are in Christ. It's been interesting this past week, seeing all the debates going on about um, Australia Day and being Australia Day weekend. I think what I've been fascinated about is probably more as a follower of Jesus. I'm an Australian citizen. I live in Australia, love Australia. But that's not my identity. When I stand before the King of Kings, I don't go, here's my Australian certificate. Let me in. The only thing that matters is Jesus looks at me and goes, I'm in you, you're in me. That's it. Brothers and sisters, don't forget where our home is. And that moment when the culture and the world keeps pressing in and we're thinking that the world is going to take over and kick us all out and we're going to lose our freedoms, guess what? You're in Christ. Take comfort in that. This is the greatest gift. That moment when you feel that I'm terrible, I, I suck at this, I'm not good at this, remind yourself of this truth and knowing that you are in Christ. So church, what do we boast in this morning? The Apostle Paul says, quoting from an Old Testament passage that was read earlier this morning, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in what? The Lord. That's who we boast in. That's who we are in. What I want us to do is, I'm going to put up here on the screen a couple of things. Uh, I want us to either sit or uh, you can close your eyes and just listen. Uh, One of the great things about Scripture is this idea of in Christ, in the Lord, union with Christ is throughout the New Testament. It comes out about 150 times. And there are people much smarter than me uh, who have kind of collated the list. Uh, There's a bunch of lists out there I'm sure you can find. Uh, This has personally helped me a lot, so that's why I'm sharing it. I've also got printed copies, and if you want, we put it up on Facebook in a little bit. And also, if you want an email copy, just let us know. This is written by a guy called Scott Thomas and Tom Wood. Uh, They wrote a book called Gospel Coach and Discipleship of Leaders. uh, And this is what it says. Tom's writing this, and Tom says, I keep this list of positional promises on my desk to remind me who I am. Declared to be the Word of God. 
Even though I do not always feel this way, these scriptures remind me of who I am in Christ. So friends, I'm just going to read this to us. You can either listen or read it yourself. Through Christ, I am dead to sin. Through Christ, I am spiritually alive. Through Christ, I am forgiven. Through Christ, I am declared righteous. Through Christ, I am God's possession. Through Christ, I am an heir of God. Through Christ, I am blessed with all spiritual blessing. Through Christ, I'm a citizen of heaven. Through Christ, I'm free from the law. Through Christ, I'm crucified with him. Through Christ, I'm free from the desires of the flesh. Through Christ, I'm declared blameless and innocent. Through Christ, I'm a light in the world. Through Christ, I'm victorious over Satan. Through Christ, I'm cleansed from sin. Through Christ, I'm set free in Christ from the power of sin. Through Christ, I'm secure in him. Through Christ, I'm at peace with God. Through Christ, I'm loved by God. Church, may we be a church that's known to boast not in ourselves, but boast in Christ. So as we sing this last song, let's sing in thankfulness to him. I'm going to invite the music team to come.